Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. I'm Christian Blood, KTSA News. And now it's time for the Jack Riccardi Show. Well, hey, good afternoon. How are you? I'm doing swell. How about yourself? Well, you know, um, we're having one of those weird weeks, right, where everybody is pretty sure something big is about to happen, and we keep waiting for it to happen, and then it's news when it doesn't happen. Like, you have to announce the big <laughs> right. thing yeah. that was going to happen today now isn't going to happen till tomorrow, maybe. Yeah, And I mean, then, today, as you pointed out, maybe it's not going to happen at all. Yeah, there's like three ways this could go. There is an indictment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then maybe later there's an indictment or nothing at all. And so it's, mm-hmm. it's like one big tease, right? Can you imagine if they come out and announce, ah, you know, we looked at it. <laughs> right. Hey, just, stranger things have happened. I, we, Don and I were just talking about what, where there would be greater, uh, panic. I, I think the women of the view, I would, I would call ambulances, uh, to that studio if that happens. And, and then on him, on MSNBC, I, I I think you could be looking at maybe hostage taking, um, you know, situation maybe SWAT team in the studio. I mean, these people are so invested in this. It, it mm-hmm. would be like if you were if you were the network that was going to cover the Olympics, you had your team in place, you'd done all your you'd assembled all your B roll, you'd done the graphics package, and then they canceled the Olympics the night before. The Olympics. That's basically what this is for news networks, right? It could be the Super Bowl of of, of meltdowns. Yeah. yeah. So tremendous. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna talk about this today, and um, and of course, uh, you're always invited to join the show two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. So uh, there's nothing happening today, as far as we can tell. And part of the reason that this seems to be taking longer than expected. Well, first of all. I'm not sure that anybody reporting on this is reporting anything other than I heard and hearsay. So who knows? But it looks like maybe there was more testimony than had been expected and maybe an additional person testifying. Uh, Team Trump says it was this uh, lawyer uh, who has debunked and, and sort of uh, stripped the credibility away from uh, Michael Cohen. But who knows how much work that would take. Um, and then there's also uh, some rumors, and again, I don't know if they're true or not. This could just be the media trying to breathe life into the story. But supposedly there's rumors that within the, the office of the uh, Manhattan DA, there's dis- dissent or disagreement about whether they have enough. I, I would point out, I think I mentioned this yesterday, that Alvin Bragg, the DA, has previously on the record said that they weren't sure they had a case. So his reigniting of it is is questionable. If an indictment is brought, perhaps tomorrow, perhaps another day, um, they would notify Trump's attorneys. And, and as far as we know, as of this moment, his people have not been given any notification, but they would notify his attorneys that, they, that he'd been indicted. And then there would be the negotiation for the terms of a court appearance, meaning they would work out a time for Trump, wherever he is now, let's say he's in Florida, to go up there and... Uh, appear 
And the earliest that probably would happen would be next week. So it might get announced tomorrow or Friday, but it probably wouldn't happen until next week. And then, as we told you yesterday, there's all these other logistics with the Secret Service and uh, and what have you. Um, and you have to understand that for the left, they're working backwards on this, okay? So they're not waiting to see if Trump is indicted and then waiting to see if he is found guilty in a trial, he's already guilty. He's Hitler. He's he's a war criminal. He's ruthless. He's evil. Um, he's guilty of, of everything. The P-tapes, the collusion, everything. And so they're working backwards uh, from a, a, a conclusion they've already drawn. And I, I would just be very careful about forming opinions or jumping to conclusions or actions on this because I really believe, and I said this yesterday, you have no mar, if, if you're conservative, you have no margin for error on this, okay? If there are protests, you have played right into their hands. You have thrown yourself into their arms. You have made yourself a cast member in, uh, Insurrection Part Two, the sequel. But let's talk about something even bigger that I think a lot of people are being played on. And the genesis for this idea was I was on a podcast. I was a guest on a podcast, which is not important what it was, but I was on with this guy who's a a pollster. He was the other guest. Kind of a, he seemed like kind of a, I guess he polls for both parties. He seemed like kind of a, I don't know, rhino establishment kind of guy. But anyway, his, um, his angle was that um, the real battle for the soul of America is going to be between Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis. And I'm sitting there with my mouth hanging open because I forget that there are people who believe this, but there are a lot of people who believe this. They believe that um, because they're very passionate about you know, supporting and being loyal to Trump, or they're very passionate about being uh, disgusted with Trump. And Trump does that, right? I mean, he, he, he makes people either love him or hate him. And intensely, not a little, not slightly. That, that this guy was saying the real battle is going to be between those two. And I, I get the passion for Trump. I mean, this guy rode down a golden escalator. Okay, in a skyscraper named after himself, and proceeded to tell middle-income Americans he heard them, he he recognized them, he knew they were there, he was coming to their aid, and they were so glad to hear somebody say these things back in 2015 that they didn't care who he was, they didn't care what it looked like to have a, a you know the, the the tuxedo guy on the Monopoly box telling them, I'm your champion. They were just glad to have one because no one at the top of either political party gave a crap about people that live in Midwestern states, people who work with, you know, the land or get grease under their fingernails or work two jobs to support a family in which two parents are raising children and going to church on Sunday. These people have been ignored and forgotten and trashed by both parties. They don't care. Or they didn't. And somebody came along and said, I hear you, I see you, and I'm coming to your aid. And then when he won the election, 
He actually delivered on his words. He actually came through. And that's why the, the, the most fascinating thing about the 2020 election, to me, is that Donald Trump got 9 million more votes in 2020 than he did in 2016. Now, more people voted in 2020. It was a record-setting election for turnout. But my point is, if you get 9 million more votes, that means you delivered. Okay, you, you weren't just a, 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 an act or a lot of talk. Meanwhile, over here you get Ron DeSantis, second term as governor of Florida. Won a historic landslide re-election last year. The differences on policy between Trump and DeSantis are nil. Nil. They're meaningless. You could write them on the palm of your hand. So don't tell me that the real election is the election between Trump and DeSantis for the Republican nomination. The real election is between either one of them or whoever the Republicans nominate, I think it will be one of those two, and Joe Biden. President Biden has been in politics your entire lifetime. President Biden was given up for dead as far as political, you know, future presidential timber way back in the 80s. And the way he became president is as a Trojan horse. He's a container for the most radical politics in our country's history. And he was a necessary container or figurehead because people look at him, and they looked at him this way in 2020, and mark my words, they will look at him this way again in 2024, and they'll say, no one that old, no one that confused and befuddled, no one that out of it could possibly represent a threat or a real change. But the change from Trump to Biden was profound, was consequential. So right now, here's my point. Right now, a lot of airtime and money and energy and guys like this guy I was on with yesterday, there's a lot of people trying to convince you that the real battle, the real fight is between Trump and DeSantis. And what they're hoping to do is keep half the electorate in that battle out of the general election. So you'll be so crushed if it's DeSantis and you wanted Trump, or it's Trump and you wanted DeSantis, you'll be so crushed, you'll be so disgusted, you'll give up, you won't vote, you won't vote in, in November 2024, you won't, you won't give a damn, or you'll write in, or you'll throw away your vote on a third person or whatever. That's what they're hoping for. The real fight is what is this country going to look like if we have six more years like the last two? That's the real fight. So you're going to be told the real fight is for the Republican nomination. And, I mean, that is a fight, but it's not the most consequential one. 210-599-5555. So DeSantis is now talking about uh, Trump and the, the trouble, the, the indictment or possible indictment, in, in ways that he has not done it before. And this is according to um, Piers Morgan, who's done an interview with him uh, that's going to air on Fox Nation tomorrow or drop on Fox Nation tomorrow because that's an online service. So in this interview, and Don, I think we have a little clip of it, uh, DeSantis starts to talk about the stuff that up until this point he has pretty much 
uh, stayed away from. Um, I think we have uh, cut number five done, if you would. I think, I think you could beat Biden? I think so. So you're running them? No, I didn't say that. I just said I think I could. I mean, I think that that's, I mean, if you look at Florida. It would be harder to beat, Biden or Donald Trump? We're, I don't know. Yeah. Um, we played this for you, I think, yesterday or the day before. This was DeSantis's answer about uh, the legal issues and the hush money payment. Cut number three. Take a listen to this. I don't know what goes into paying hush money to a porn star to to secure silence over some type of alleged affair. I just I can't speak to that. But what I can speak to is that if you have a prosecutor who is ignoring crimes happening every single day in his jurisdiction and he chooses to go back many, many years ago uh, to try to use something about porn star hush money payments, you know, that's an example of pursuing a political agenda and weaponizing the office. And um, I think that that's fundamentally wrong. And in terms of um, our, 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 we are not involved in this, won't be involved in this. Uh, I have no interest in getting involved in some type of manufactured circus by some Soros DA, okay? He's trying to do a political spectacle. He's trying to virtue signal for his base. So I said yesterday, I thought that was a good answer, a smart answer. It 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 doesn't name Trump. It doesn't allude to Trump other than just the, the porn star hush money. I, I had a lot of people who were angry about that and said, well, um, I, I can't believe Ron DeSantis uh, threw uh, Donald Trump under the bus. And it sounded like he was mocking him. And uh, see, this is what I mean. This is It's already working. They're already convincing you that... If you're on Team Trump, then DeSantis is your real enemy. If you're on Team DeSantis, Trump is your real enemy. You are being played big time, if that's what you think. I mean, think about who would benefit the most from convincing people that only one of them, only one of them is worth coming out and voting for. That this just... just Ponder that. And, um, of course, you know, Trump is, is part of this because he's acting as if, uh, DeSantis is a mortal enemy, uh, and a, and a subject of ridicule and, and what have you. And, and, and they're doing oppo research on DeSantis. I'm sure you've heard this. If you haven't, I'll just tell you. Uh, the Trump people are doing oppo research on DeSantis's, uh, early employment. He worked as a teacher. And uh, they're looking at some different things in his past. I don't know what they're going to find. I have no idea. I don't have any access to it. Uh, but this, to me, is going to shape the next several months, if not the next year. Uh, and just just have your I'm not telling you who to vote for. I'm not endorsing anybody. Just have your guard up because you're 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 the um, you're in the crosshairs of this game that's being played. And the goal is to take you off the board. And make you and your vote not count. Um, all right, so the real, um, the real fight, the real battle, the real uh, election of consequence—you're going to be told. And I, I got a front row seat for the presentation, and it, it's not very impressive. Is oh, the real fight is 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 Trump and DeSantis. I mean, this is a battle for the soul of America, and you know, it, it's not. Okay, it's not. It's not that there's no difference between the two or that they could be twins. It's not that 
one of them might not do better than the other. I, I, I get all that. What I'm telling you is the greatest election of consequence in your lifetime was the 2020 election and its outcome. And not only its outcome, but the way it was conducted. That's the most impactful election in your lifetime, however long you've lived. If we go through two more years, like the last two, and we sign up for four more, like the last two, meaning six more years like the last two, I'm not sure what we will look like. I'm not sure what we will have. Think about how, when you when you look at the news every night or you check the news on your phone, think about how it feels like we are in peak insanity. And yet, we're not at the peak. We're, we're nowhere near it. So, how do you want to go? To me, the most important choice is veering away from and evicting from power the radical elements that were in the belly of that Trojan horse named Joe Biden. That Trojan horse needs to be rolled back outside the city gates. And, of course, they would tell you that the real battle is within the ranks of your own fellow conservatives and people that basically think like you and agree with you on most things and and agree that this is insanity. Yeah, no, you're you need to be at their throats. You need to be yelling and screaming at the guy on the radio because he's not sufficiently pro-Trump or he's not sufficiently pro-DeSantis. See, that's what they want you to do. And if you do that, they will get those four more years. Now, I think DeSantis has played this very smart. I don't know what he's going to say to Piers Morgan from what I read. Um, he's going to take kind of a cool position. He kind of laughs off the nicknames that uh, Trump has for him. And uh, he says, you can call me whatever I want, but I'm a winner because I've won in Florida. And he says, it's not important for me to fight people on social media. It's important for me to fight for the people I represent. So he sounds kind of like 2015 Trump. I'm all about people that need a fighter, and I'm their fighter. I'm their champion. Um, he also says that there's a few things he would have done differently from Trump. He would have fired Fauci. He would have approached COVID differently. This is stuff we talked about the other day. So it's not that there won't be any difference. But again, you have to see the difference between four more years of this and choosing which path you take away from this. I want to talk about that, see what you think. You can uh, join the show uh, live at 210-599-5555. If you want to leave a comment right now and just leave a quick thought that we can play back, the Jack Chat line is also open, 210-599-5550. Just leave your name, city, and a brief comment. We'll play those back, 210-599-5550. How likely do you think it is that you get Biden versus Trump in 2024? Uh, what's, what is, what is the likelihood of that matchup? I'm not asking you if you want that matchup. I'm just asking you how likely do you think that is right now? I mean, everything could change. A lot of things could change. Um, how likely is Biden versus Trump in 2024? 210, 599, 55. And, uh, what are your thoughts about the spin that is very prevalent right now in the media? 
that Trump and DeSantis hate each other and uh you know they're they're mortal enemies and uh only one can prevail you, you know it, just just take note of who's telling you that and it tells you everything you need to know about the validity of it i mean the media are very invested in this idea that only one of the, you know, this is a death cage match. Only one of them can survive. Only one of them can prevail. DeSantis is in what? His mid-40s? Okay. If it is Trump in 2024, I think I would be willing to bet the farm DeSantis runs again someday. So it's not it's not either or. It's just who's next. Uh, and either one of them is a viable path away from the insanity, either one of them uh, embodies the not only the desire, but the obviously the the commitment and the courage to get away from this insanity. I, I'm not saying there's no difference between them, but the differences between them pale in comparison to either of them versus Team Biden. Uh, there was an interesting, uh, Rich Lowry wrote an interesting um, uh, piece that says, Republicans are delusional if they think Biden will be easy to beat. Listen to this. Biden is not a dead man walking. He's an old man getting around stiffly, writes Lowry. Biden is vulnerable, but certainly electable, diminished, but still capable of delivering a message, uninspiring, but unthreatening. No one is going to mistake him for a world beater. That said, he's in office and no one else is. Incumbency bestows important advantages. The sitting president is highly visible. The only civilian in the country who gets saluted by Marines walking out his door every day has established a certain threshold ability to do the job, can wield awesome powers to help his cause and that of his party. You may not like those words. You may not like any of that. All of that is true. Biden was never going to be the next LBJ or FDR. But he punched above his weight legislatively during his first two years, getting more out of a tied Senate and slender House majority than looked possible. I don't know about that, but what he's saying there is basically that from the standpoint of the Democrats, Biden's first two years were not a disaster. And this is really the point Lowry is making. He's not asking you to like or approve of Biden. He just wants you to understand Biden has a lot to work with. The incumbency is a powerful thing. We re-elect presidents more often than we throw them out after one term. That's just a fact, okay? And um, he makes the point I made that Biden's age is both a liability but also a benefit because he doesn't look radical or threatening. And there's just a lot of Democrats. There are a lot of people for whom voting for anyone with a D after the name is what they're going to do. And Democrats only lose when they lose some of those people. Otherwise, if they, if they hold that coalition together, they win. And that's where Hillary was such a failure. She was such a terrible politician. I mean, not to, not to take it away from what Trump did, but let's be clear. Hillary was historically bad at this. 
And she left behind and turned off and repulsed people that voted Democrat before her and have voted Democrat since her. And that's what he's saying. Uh, Lowry writes, Ron DeSantis or another Republican contender presumably match up better against Biden based on generational contrast and the absence of Trump's baggage. Yet if a non-Trump candidate wins the nomination, he or she will have Trump in the background, probably determined to gain revenge against him or her. Uh, and that also, I think, is true. He writes, there's no fortune quite like being lucky in your enemies, and Biden could well get a big break in this respect again. However much Republicans may wish he were a pushover, he's not, and they should be acting accordingly. I'm not a Republican, but if I was advising the Republicans, I would advise them to take Rich Lowry's words to heart. And, and I think what he's saying is, if and I'll say it if he's not saying it, I'll just say it. If you want this to be a four-year aberration, like I cannot believe we did that. I cannot believe we had those people in those positions. I can't believe we had Sam Brinton. I can't, I can't believe Kamala Harris was a heartbeat away. I can't, I can't believe Joe Biden is fumbling his way through a poem while Xi and Putin are having three days worth of talks. Did you hear the, did you hear the poem? Don, do we have the poem? I think it's cut number seven. This happened yesterday at the White House. Listen to this. Cut number seven. Richard Blanco, uh, returned to a poem he wrote from the second inaugural of Barack and me. A poem, one today, says, and always one moon like a silent drum tapping at every rooftop and every window on every in, of every county, country. Let me start this over again. I'm getting so intimidated by being here. <laughs> and always one moon like a silent drum tapping on every rooftop and every window of one country, county, county, all of us facing the stars. Hope, a new constellation, waiting for us to map it, waiting for us to name it together. I have to tell you, even I was pulling for him, like, come on, man, just get through it. You can do, you can do it. It's right there on the teleprompter in giant letters. So they're car Xi and Putin are carving up the world. They're carving out spheres of influence in their, for their regimes. They're determining where they will each uh, hold sway. This is the greatest fear of post-war American foreign policy, the single number one no-no from Harry Truman through every administration was don't ever let the Russians and the Chinese get together. We don't want them united. We don't want them allied. And that's what's happened now. And meanwhile, this guy can't get through a, a four-line poem. So if you want that to be a four-year, okay, we, we whoopsied, then I think it's kind of important to figure out who is most likely to bring that to an end. But if you don't get your first choice, to recognize that your second choice or your third choice is also a, a good choice to bring that to an end. In other words, I don't think, I don't think not, not only when I look at Trump and DeSantis, but even when I look at two or three other people further down the food chain, I, I don't think, oh, well, that person would be overwhelmed. That person couldn't do that. that we, we'd be just as bad off as we are now. I don't, I don't see that. Do you? 
I'm not, I'm not feeling that way. But I'm telling you, there are people that want you to believe that if you're on Team Trump and you don't get it, well, this, this country's not for you. You might as well follow that guy in the, with the letter yesterday and move to Canada, have a city picked out in Canada. That's a very, very seductive argument. We're, we're kind of tribal by nature. We're polarized, especially these days. It's very, I think it's a very appealing, it's, it's kind of a seductive idea to say to people, you know, you better, you, you better, you better nominate my person or I'm done with all of this. I'm throwing in my hand. They want you to do that. It's very important. And there's a lot of effort being expended on that right now. Um, so if you feel that way, let's talk. Because I think you're being played. I, I say that with affection. I don't mean to be cruel. But I think you're being played. I think you're, I think you're a pawn. Uh, what do you think? There was a, um, a, a, a news story about a guy who was helping his daughter fill out a scholarship application. And uh, one of the questions um, was about sexual identity. And the choices included, you know, male, female, other, LGBT, LGBT ally. Um, now, I get that people are trying to create more than two genders, but LGBT ally is not even a sexual identity. I mean, I've, I've heard people, I, I work with a guy that has that on his social media profile. Nobody knows what the hell it means. But if you want to say, hey, I'm proud of the fact that I stand with LGBT people, but I'm not LGBT, okay, that's fine. That's not a sexual identity. That's like saying I'm a, you know, I'm a Spurs fan. That doesn't mean you're a player for the Spurs, right? I mean, you got to be kidding me, right? I mean, I don't even know why we're asking gender identity on a scholarship application. If it was a scholarship specific to gender, like it was only given to one gender, that would be okay. But this is a general uh, questionnaire. And this is what I mean about these are the times that we're that we're meeting that we're living with right now. These are the times that we're living in right now. There was a story today about the um current legislature and the Texas Association of School Psychologists is talking about how their uh agenda or their plan for the legislature is for school psychologists to advance social justice and equity, meaning that school psychologists want to push or their organization wants them to push things like critical race theory. And I was thinking about this just in terms of being a dad. If you, if your child goes to a school psychologist, you would hope and pray that that man or that woman would be compassionate, would be competent, would be um, able to listen 
and and wisely uh, deal with your child. We hear ad infinitum that school shootings and school violence are directly tied to a lack of mental health resources. Well, school psychologists are precisely what's being talked about when people say that. In the middle of everything that we are worrying about with our children, and in a moment when a, let's say, teenager goes to see a school psychologist, how dare you take that moment opportunistically, greedily, to push an agenda? Or, to put it another way, if someone comes to you, you're a a psychological professional, and they're confused, is it ethical for you to know what you're going to tell them and have a an agenda you're going to push on them? Is that ethical? Kind of asking rhetorically, I'm kind of asking literally. So, a boy or girl comes to you, they're in, they're in, crisis, they can't talk to their parents, or they have talked to their parents, or no one at home is listening, and you're waiting there with critical race theory. You're waiting there with some tips on pronouns and sexual gender identity. So, help me understand, we need more resources for what? So you can alter our children? or so you can help them through a difficult and hopefully temporary crisis. I would have thought and hoped it was the latter, wouldn't you? Now, I don't know how much support this gets from people that actually do the work. Like, I know that a lot of times you're in a profession, your professional organization doesn't really speak for you. Maybe you're horrified by this. Maybe you're a school counselor, and this is not at all what you believe. But I'm just telling you, this is what they're saying in the legislature, this is what the TASP is saying is their priority. I mean, what, what what numbers are they looking at? What headlines are they looking at? What world are they looking at? I'm looking at a world where our young people seem to have been badly damaged and scarred by the COVID shutdowns. We also have this ongoing experiment with social media and smartphones that's clearly rewiring them body and soul, and we don't exactly know how, and even the people who are in that industry now admit they don't really know how this ends or how this is going to turn out, but we have all that going on. We have the, everywhere you look, we have the acting out of a, of a generation that looks lost. And rather than saying, let's just be ready and be able to listen and help and be an ally for parents and families, no, no, we're we're going to Talk about white guilt. Wow. Must be very proud. There was a jailbreak in Virginia mm-hmm. where two guys uh, were found missing Monday night um, when they did the head count. And the, the, the story says they exploited a weakness in the jail's construction design. What? Now, that seems very favorable to whoever built the jail. Like, a jail is only for one thing. Yeah, you had one right? job. You had, 
you yeah. had one job. And for <laughs> for how many millions of dollars did that cost? What is the construction flaw? Did they did they make the jail out of paper mache or or what? They they apparently used a tool made from a toothbrush and were able to get through the wall. That's like Shawshank Redemption or something? I, I know. I'm always fascinated when people in movies are able to do things with a toothbrush. I, I don't know what kind of toothbrushes <laughs> these people are buying, but I have to replace my toothbrush like every two or three weeks, and all I'm doing is brushing my teeth with it. Well, my son. So if you're digging through a concrete wall with rebar with a toothbrush, could you send me the brand? I'd like to know who mm-hmm. makes that toothbrush. Because I'd like to get that toothbrush also, so my nine-year-old doesn't have cavities anymore. Well, it also, it sounds like a good thing to like. It would be a good thing to have, you know, keep with you. Like, if there's a toothbrush that can dig through a a prison wall, <laughs> that seems like a survival tool right there. But then the story gets even better. So they have found the guys. The guys are back in custody. Mm-hmm. Because they were at a nearby IHOP. <laughs> now, wait a minute. See, I knew you would snort, but have you ever been so hungry? Have you ever been so hungry that even IHOP sounded good? I mean, I get it. They were in jail. You know, maybe they saw the IHOP and boy, it just hit them like, oh. Well, they got know. the toothbrush for afterwards. <laughs> they got the tooth. We got our toothbrush. There's an IHOP. Wow. I don't know. I'm not going to judge them for going out. Well, I mean, you know, what are they supposed to do? Go to, go to a bed and breakfast? I mean, they went to IHOP. The thing is, you don't stay at IHOP. Could they afford IHOP? If you got out of jail, you got to keep moving. Have yeah. they never watched any of these movies? I mean, right, right. You know, wow. even I know this. You don't stop at IHOP, you drive through IHOP. Hey, they were hungry. <laughs> so, anyway, we'll uh, see what we can find out about the super toothbrush. 210-599-5555. Do you know who Richard Dawkins is? Richard Dawkins is a uh, pretty prominent uh, scientist and atheist. I think he's probably more famous for being an atheist than for his uh, science. And he did an interview recently uh, with Piers Morgan. Inc- incidentally, we were just talking about Piers Morgan interviewing uh, Ron DeSantis. That interview will be on Fox Nation tomorrow. But uh, he did an interview with uh, this uh, professor, Richard Dawkins. And um, they were talking about how many sexes there are. And, you know, we're supposed to follow the science. We're supposed to listen to science. That's what we've been told, right? So here is the science on genders, cut number six. I'm sorry, no, cut number, what is this, Don? Cut number two. What's extraordinary to me is they, they want to, what they call degender and neutralize language. But they're doing it from a completely false pretext that you can somehow pretend biology doesn't exist, particularly when it comes to someone's sex. I mean, it's incontrovertible. There's no scientific doubt about this. And yet a small group of people have been quite successful, actually, in reshaping vast swathes of the way society talks and is allowed to talk. It's bullying. Can I just say, by the way, I love the fact that he pronounces swath as swathe. I'm going to start doing that. I don't... I'm I'm changing that right now. I'm making that change official. So I like swathes, vast swathes of society. All right, listen to the answer. Have been quite successful actually in reshaping vast swathes of the way society talks mm. and is allowed to talk. It's bullying, uh, and we've seen the the way um, J.K. Rowling has been bullied, Kathleen yeah. Stock has been bullied. Um, they've stood up to it, but but um, it's very upsetting the way. This tiny minority of people has managed to 
capture the discourse and to um, really talk arrant nonsense. What's the answer to it? Science. I mean, um, there are two sexes. Um, you could talk about gender if you wish, and that's a subjective. I'm not. But when people say there are a hundred genders, for example, uh, yeah, I'm not interested in that. As as a biologist, there are two sexes, mm. uh, and that's all there is to it. Hmm. Bad news. Uh, only two. Now, um, I'm still kind of hung up on this Texas Association of School Psychologists. I mean, if I hadn't told you anything about anything, and I said, let's talk about the Texas Association of School psychologists, you, you would think right away of a person uh, who would be kind and empathetic and a resource for young people, somebody to whom uh, a kid that has trouble at, at home or is being bullied or is going through the confusion that just about every adolescent goes through. I mean, you can have great kids, you can have amazing kids, you're proud of them, they're the best kids on, on the earth, but, you know, th- there's an age... Pretty much the teen years when you, you get you get confused, you get some muddled ideas about things. I mean, they're good, they they obey, they do their chores, they go to church, but but trust me, there's stuff seething under the surface. So it, there's this resource at the school they can they can go, they can unburden, they can talk, they can vent, they can confess a secret. Should that be someone who's Profession is to push an agenda, to push critical race theory. Should a kid in crisis be told that he has white privilege? Should someone in in uh, a state of confusion uh, be conferring with someone who will say, "Well, you know, you you may need to cut your breasts off, or uh, you may need to change your pronouns." And I mean, I, I, that to me, and I'm, I'm not saying I'm shocked. Obviously, we know this is happening, but just consider the evil of that. Consider what you're doing there. You're taking the most vulnerable people at the most vulnerable age, and you're the you're the um, the profession that has the privilege of serving in that function, and has the trust, the implicit trust of parents and teachers and young people. And your organization is about pushing social justice, critical race theory, restorative justice, equity. You know, why not pick on somebody your own age? There's nothing lower than realizing you can't win an argument with people your own age, but you can prey on somebody a fraction of your age. You can get to the adults through their their kids. You can get to the political power through kids. I mean, I know it works. I mean, it's all through history. I mean, this is what Mao did. This is how Mao Zedong cemented his control of China. It's a huge country. It's proven ungovernable by every dynasty and dictator it's ever had. So he figured out, or somebody around him figured out, that if you could turn the young people of the country into informers, if you could uh, weld them 
to the government rather than to their family units. If you could come between them and their parents, that was the ultimate power and control, and he did it. It was called the Cultural Revolution. And ever since then, that's been a a practice or, a uh, I guess, a tactic, and it's it's disgusting. I mean, maybe I'm the only one, but I, I, I find it shameful that anybody who would be a school psychologist would entertain for one second the thought that a, a young person coming to them is an opportunity rather than a, a person that needs to be helped and saved and comforted and reassured that you would instead think, oh, well, <laughs> this is a future voter. I mean, but, you know, just how do you sleep, right? Jack Riccardi, we're live right now on KTSA, Monday through Friday from 4 to 7. We're also available as an on-demand podcast. You can listen to this show anytime. Catch up nights, weekends, uh, with whole podcast, whole episode podcasts. Go to KTSA.com, the on-demand menu there, or look for the Jack Riccardi Show wherever you get your other podcasts. And uh, either way, glad you're here. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being a part of it. Uh, and you'll be happy to know, you'll be happy to know that the Electric Blue Cafe is open for business. The Electric Blue Cafe in Tolland, Connecticut, is open for business. It's the it's a strip club. It's a strip club in Tolland, Connecticut, and it it uh, reopened um, yesterday. <clears throat> uh, the reason it was closed is because it was raided by Connecticut State Police and the U.S. Department of Homeland Security last week. Uh, they had raided the club. They had suspended its license because they were investigating prostitution at the strip club. Now, I think we could probably all agree that prostitution and strip clubs, probably there is some, to use Kamala Harris's favorite device, there probably is a Venn diagram there, right? Like, I'm not saying all, I'm, I didn't, I'm just saying there may be some overlap Right? Okay. Probably always has been. Probably always will be. And I don't know how you feel about prostitution. I don't know if you believe it should be legalized or it's a free market thing or you are against it body and soul. But um, the part of this story that I found so interesting was the Department of Homeland Security piece of it. Here's how it was reported on the NBC station in Connecticut. Cut number one. Shut down the strip club at the center of a prostitution investigation in Tolland. Good evening. Thanks for joining us here for the News at Six. I'm Keisha Grant. And I'm Mike Heideck. The Department of Homeland Security, along with state police, spent the day searching the Electric Blue Cafe. NBC Connecticut's Perseida Landa Verde is there now, live with the new developments. Perseida. 
Yeah, good evening, Mike and Keisha. We've learned new details about that joint federal and state investigation at the nightclub. Now, we heard from town manager Brian Foley, who says he, his office, heard this morning from state police about an ongoing criminal investigation at Electric Blue Cafe. Now, according to state police documents he received, investigators believe for several years and even happening recently, there's been prostitution and other sexual activity at the strip club. Now, after okay, hold on. About so what, th this has always been a thing, and it, it sounds like just another run-of-the-mill kind of you know police story or crime story on the news. But why do we need the Department of Homeland Security involved in a local prostitution allegation against a local strip club? Well, the answer is because there might be human trafficking. There, there might be people that are, um, you know, being trafficked in from other countries or, or what have you. Well, there might be. Uh, again, if you look into this, the, the whole history of prostitution is that it's, it's always been, uh, a crime or a practice or whatever of, uh, people that were, you know, maybe on the margins, on the, uh, outer edges. Uh, it was a, a way to make a quick buck. What did we do before we had the Department of Homeland Security? I looked it up. The, the, the Department of Homeland Security was formed in November of 2002. So we've only had it for 21 years. We've had prostitute. Well, prostitution is the oldest profession, right? Okay. So what did we do before the last 21 years? I guess we had the local police investigate it. Why isn't that good enough now? And this, to me, is an illustration of the of the way mission creep gets into everything government does. Everything. The other day we talked about the bank rescues and the bank bailouts, and we went from rescuing big banks that were supposed to be, in, you know, um, intrinsic to the operation of our economy, like too big to fail. And now we're rescuing banks no one ever heard of until they went under, and that's how we heard about them. So you've got, and apparently, um, I looked at some of the stories. DHS went in there. They had armored vehicles. They had guys in camouflage. It's Connecticut. It's not in the jungle. Have you have you seen Connecticut? The whole state looks like you know Terrell Hills. So why would you have why would you need the Department of Homeland Security? I mean you can tell me about human trafficking nothing new. Nothing new. And what else is the Department of Homeland Security doing that's not what we thought it was for when it was founded right after 9/11 and in direct um obviously in direct response to 9/11? I don't think anybody on, I don't think anybody on the day that, that George W. Bush was cutting the ribbon on the Department of Homeland Security, I don't think anybody was saying, we're gonna, now we're gonna finally get that prostitution ring in Connecticut. Thank God. By the way, where, where do you come down on the prostitution thing? I, we've talked about it before. But it's fascinating to me that there are people who, and I respect that if you just are morally repulsed and you think that that the idea of it in your community is corrosive and destructive. But there are also people that, that say, look, you know, um, 
it's better that we have an outlet for people. It's better that uh, people can choose it. You know, it's 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 adults entering into a contractual arrangement. We should just maybe regulate it like they do in some European countries, but not outlaw it. What do you think about that? Of course, there's the argument that prostitution undermines marriage, and marriage is a building block of society, okay? But then I would respond, well, right now we're redefining genders and sex, and um, we're saying we don't know what a woman is. We're certainly not upholding marriage in any meaningful way at any level anywhere right now. So if you're telling me we got to stamp out prostitution to save marriage, I would say I think you may be missing the bigger picture. That used to be the argument. I don't think it really works as an argument anymore. And then if you further go into this, there's people who believe that every prostitute is like a a small business person, you know, somebody that is knowingly and and with under their own power, you know, choosing to do this and taking it on. And then there's the other school of thought, which is, oh, no, no, these are, these are scared, vulnerable people that are coerced, mostly women. You know, they're, they're scared and they, they're trapped and maybe they're in the country illegally and, uh, they, they don't want to do this and they can't get out of it. So that's why we need the laws. Where do you come down on that? 210-599-5555. The strip club is fighting the uh, charges, and they're reopened as of right now, and they are angrily denying that they had any prostitution. Shocked. Shocked they are to hear that. Uh, but we're going to talk about that and the Department of Homeland Security. Uh, so they shut down a strip club in Connecticut, and they brought the uh, local, state, and federal law enforcement. They brought the Department of Homeland Security uh in to investigate prostitution in this little town in Connecticut. I, I to me, first of all, th- this is this is everything you need to know about how government just grows and grows and grows and exceeds its mission and exceeds its mandate and you can have the best of intentions. And there were a lot of really good intentions after 9/11 and and most of them have turned into monsters. Okay, the Patriot Act domestic surveillance, and DHS apparently does everything but what we thought it would do. I mean, where where are they on our border? But anyway, um, it kind of also raises the question about uh, is prostitution uh, a, a crime that society should view as, uh, you know, as a crime? Uh, or is this one of those things like pot legalization that people are going to change and evolve on and say, well, you know, th- this is people making decisions and running a business, and uh, it's an outlet, and uh, if you want to regulate it, regulate it. What do you think about that? I I will say, when we've talked about this before, and I'm not, I'm by no means I'm not saying I'm an expert, but um, really I'm not. Thank you. But I... There are a lot of like fantasies about, not, not fantasies, but fantasies about why people do this. Like there's the, there's the, the stereotype that every prostitute is this 
wily businesswoman with a you know great mind watching CNBC all day, you know, just making brilliant uh, marketing choices, you know, hooker with a heart of gold. And then there's the the fantasy that these are all scared, trapped, victimized women. I, I'm sure there's the whole gamut. I'm sure there's everything in between, right? I don't think you can. I don't think you can stereotype and say, well, it's all this or it's all that. Uh, two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five, and Peter is on KTSa. Hi, Peter. Hey, how's it going? What do you think about this story? Well, so a couple of things here. Um, Department of Homeland Security. They it, this uh, if it is uh, what you're saying, like prostitution, you have to think of it as more like human trafficking. Are they, they're investigating the human trafficking aspect, which does in fact cover our borders. You know, if we're bringing <clears throat> kids or minors or even adults over, you know, we we mm-hmm. gotta protect that aspect and protect those mm-hmm. kids. Um, mm-hmm. The other thing is, on prostitution, it's a double-edged sword. You got to look at it both ways. So, yes, you legalize it. You may undermine marriages, like you're saying. Um, you may cut down on, you know, STD stuff like that. But you also have to recognize the fact that we may open doors for human trafficking um, to be more out in the open uh, and more discreet. Uh, you know, them them learning and, and evolving with it. Um, it's never going to be an easy thing to do. Um, the main thing is, it's just you know, if if we it's something like that did happen, it had to be closely monitored more so than marijuana would be, um, you know, and it'd be a, a deep deep government, um, you know, they'd be they'd be monitoring that deep deep um, versus. Well, let me let me let me play let me play devil's advocate with you, Peter, because if if you want to say it's about uh, immigration. Uh, it's, we're failing at the point of entry. So if you're fighting the battle in Connecticut, you've already lost the battle. And I'm not buying that that's why they were yeah, there. That sounds like a, that sounds like a neat explanation to justify them being there. But I don't, I don't believe that's, that's the real reason. I, I'll tell you what I think the real reason is. I think the real reason is that some sheriff or some police chief put out the call and tried to get every resource and agency that he or she could get their hands on, and they rode in like the cavalry because they can hang it on the hook of immigration. And then as far as uh, making it more likely that people will be trafficked into the country, if it was legal, you would not as likely have people operating in the shadows and uh, you know, without a social security number, et cetera, et cetera. Isn't the argument for legalizing pot that you're getting it out of the back alleys and you're putting it in a place where it can be made safer? Wasn't that the, I, I'm not, I'm not saying that's my position, but isn't that what they said? Right. Yeah. So I see what you're saying. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, that and the violence that goes with it, you know, of course. Um, but, you know, Department of Homeland Security does have a task force that, that targets, um, you know, human immigration, human trafficking. Um, specifically human trafficking, um, which, I mean... But you see, Peter, where I'm not disagreeing with you, but you see where if you give people these um, wild card types of things, they can go into any business and say, we hear there's some uh, illegal immigrants here. You know, you you can't have a, a federal agency that gets to make up its own jurisdictions. No, absolutely, absolutely. And I'd, I'd be interested... And we've had prostitution. We had prostitution for 180, 200 years before we had the DHS. How did we fight it before DHS? I'm sure we did. Very true. Yeah, I think it's, you know, allocation of resources, too. Um, maybe they don't have the resources. Maybe they needed help. I, I Maybe they're not as trained. I mean, it, it, I'd like to know, like, exactly why, you know. So it'd be cool if somebody did more digging and told us a little more. Um, well, they said it was because we have reason to believe... 
that there was human trafficking. And part of the reason they believed it, according to one story I read, is that the owner of the Electric Blue Cafe is Ukrainian. Ah, and, and, and now, I, now, I mean, my, right away, you know what I would think if I was her lawyer, I would say you're being profiled. Uh, yeah, exactly. A hundred percent. I agree there. Um, now, was it trafficking? We don't know. Not yet. Uh, not until they come out and say like, you know, but the thing is, are these girls, are these girls or these, these people that may possibly have been trafficked, are they lawyer? Or are they going to say, yeah, yeah, we're trafficking or no, you're crazy. And, and it all depends on and who's willing to talk or they willing to tell the truth. Are they, you know, um, are they loyal to who trafficked them? Are they, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, when somebody's held captive and they start becoming like loyal to their, are they intimidated? They're captive. No. Um, when, when somebody's loyal to their captivator, they fall in love. Oh, with Stockholm syndrome. Captive. Stockholm syndrome. I Stockholm syndrome. Um, I mean, it, 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 it's really, um, it's really an iffy situation. It can go either way, you know, and it's mm -hmm. very, it's kind of a sad thing, you know, Mm -hmm. But I, I do think that, you know, if it if it's well-regulated, um, I don't see, you know, in Europe, they do STD testing. So, so, you're, so you're saying we should, we should legalize it and regulate it, and that might make this a concern, if it really was the concern, uh, less of a concern? It's possible, but we, we'd have to watch it closely and be cognizant of, hey, that there can be more illegal stuff going on, you know, um, yeah. because people aren't going to see it as, oh, this is, you know, this is trafficking. They're going to say, oh, this is legal, so how can it be trafficked if this is legal? Mm -hmm. Which, in theory, mm -hmm. it might not all be legal, you know? Okay. Um, great points, Peter. Yeah. No, I think you – thank you. I think you made some great, great points. Enjoyed the conversation. Thank you. Uh, thanks for calling. 210-599-5555. So should we legalize it? I mean, is it – is that uh, – and I'm not asking you that from the standpoint of your uh, – your proclivity for or against it, or I, I'm asking it in the way that we asked that question some years ago about marijuana. Um, does it make sense in a uh, free market, you know, we're all adults here way to legalize it? And um, what would be the upside or the downside of that? And, and I realize, by the way, that there are a lot of people on this kind of a conversation that do not want to publicly say what they think. I, that's, I get it. I understand I'm asking a, a tricky question here. Um, but I, I, I think we're kind of at the point where politicians have already indicated they're not making laws based on tradition or Judeo-Christian principles. I mean, I don't want, I, you can you can say that's how you feel about it, but just acknowledge that we're not being governed that way, right? So we're not. We may be a, a nation of people with those values, or a lot of people with those values, but but that's not how we're being governed. Clearly, okay, that ship has sailed. So two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. Should it be legal uh, and regulated, or legal and completely wide open? free market or should it continue to be something that we are cracking down on and trying to eradicate and yes if if need be bring the the department of homeland security in there with their apcs and their camo uh it was the feds the connecticut state police and local law enforcement uh raiding and shutting down for a time a strip club in connecticut it's now open for business again 
They thought there was prostitution going on uh, in connection with the strip club. The owner uh, angrily insists that it is not. Uh, furthermore, they allege that they were investigating human trafficking of foreigners, to which she replies, I'm Ukrainian and I'm repulsed by that and I would never do that. And um, it it was interesting to me that Department of Homeland Security would be going into a situation like that because prostitution's been with us forever. Uh, obviously, we've dealt with it and enforced whatever the laws were, whatever the prevailing local laws were, without the Department of Homeland Security. You You can't tell me that only in the last 20 years is there some concern about illegal immigrants or foreign prostitutes. That's That's not new. Obviously, we dealt with it before. It, it's like saying we didn't know what to do about, you know, hurricanes till we had FEMA. That's just not true. And this is mission creep, and this is making it up as we go along. DHS is the ultimate, like, all-absorbent sponge, right? I mean, it's just it's taken on all kinds of things that were not envisioned. And then it raises the bigger question about, you know, should this even be uh, should this be legal in some way or to some degree or subject to local voters? Uh, Brent is on 550 and 107.1 KTSA. Hi, Brent. How you doing? Hey, Brent. So what do you think? Should it be legal or illegal or partly or, or what? Well, I don't, I'm not really a fan of it being legal. Um, I think it kind of goes along with organized crime, and especially in an incident where, where you're talking about it being in a, a strip club, a established business. Um, I think that's probably why there's more agencies involved than just police. Um, I mean, they could say, well, this is a couple girls that were just trying to run their own business out of the strip club. But, you know, if they thought that it was actually the owner involved, somebody taking a cut, you're talking about organized crime and, um, well, you I think you're just talking about crime. I don't, I don't know. I don't know that that's organized crime like the mafia. I think that's just crime. But, but w- wouldn't that be an argument for legalizing it, Brent? I mean, it's when you make it illegal that you make it susceptible to, you know, criminal networks and, and sophistication. When it's legal, that kind of, like with, with marijuana, that's not the purview of organized crime. Well, saying that that marijuana being legalized, that that stopped the illegal marijuana trade is naive. No, 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 no. But that's not what I said. But you keep marijuana out there better quality. No, no. But you keep you keep using the term organized crime, and when you when you make something illegal, you force the trafficking of it into the hands of people that are lawbreakers. But when something is legal, now there is competition to sell it above board and out in the open, and that's not as attractive to what you are referring to as organized crime. It just isn't. Right. No, I understand that. Um, you know, and then you also have to then look at it. Uh, what type of uh, regulatory agency are you going to have to create to regulate that? To watch something that large. Mm-hmm. Why do you have to regulate it at all? Why? Why can't you just say, "Well, these are these are people making decisions for themselves." I mean, people are having sex all the time. We don't regulate it. Well, but they're going to want to. They're going to want to have. Uh, if if uh, establishment allows it in their building, are they going to be liable if one of their girls is spreading out? It's, it's happening at hotels. It's happening at motels. It's happening in those establishments. Those are legal establishments. 
Don't you think there's yeah, sex for money but, happening but trade, happening anywhere that that there is privacy? Uh, absolutely, but but when it's being uh, uh, when it's being pushed by the establishment, then don't mm-hmm. they take on some liability? Mm-hmm. As well, then why don't we then why don't we shut down why don't we shut down uh, why don't we shut down like uh, Tinder and all these dating apps because that's people are meeting for sex and. And, and, and hooking up on all these apps. Why isn't the Department of Homeland Security putting all them out of business? Why are they going after some little strip club in Connecticut when it's a vast online business? That doesn't make any sense. Well, no, you're right about that. But um, there you also talk about the, um, uh, the protections that uh, platforms have to, have to host Tinder, right? And, they have, and they're protected from uh, liability. For a third-party user. Yeah. All I'm saying is if your concern is that people are meeting up and exchanging money for sex, and you're concerned that that's, uh, that, that carries with it the possibility of other dangers or other crimes, I- I'm just going to tell you the whole point of online dating or the main point of online dating is sex. And, uh, you know, I- 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 at some point people are going to have to define the difference between I meet you on an app, I buy you dinner, and then we have sex, versus I pay you and we have sex. You know, I, I, I'm, I guess we're going to have to see what the difference is between those two things. I've been trying to figure out, Christian, who... Uh, I knew there was an actor that looks just like Ron DeSantis. I finally figured out it's Paul Rudd. Oh, wow. You know Paul Rudd from, from like, Anchorman and yeah. Ant-Man? and Yeah, I, I pulled up a picture. I mean, I'm telling you. They could be brothers. <laughs> they could be brothers. <laughs> I don't know what to do with that information, but I'm proud of myself for figuring that out. You know, that's yeah. Like uh, Paul Rudd could be like a maybe a slightly younger brother. Maybe a stunt double. Wait, do they? Imagine call how it? horrifying it would be, though. I mean, imagine if you're in Hollywood and 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 you discover you resemble a Republican politician. That's probably like the worst thing that's ever happened. I wonder you know? who's better at football. There you go. There you go. All right. Uh, Well, have a good night, sir. Thank you. Later in this hour, we're going to see how you voted in today's JR poll. We're going to be talking about uh, the big big scam, the big game that's being played right now with uh, politics and setting you up for the 2024 election. Um, There's a lot of energy in this, a lot of money behind this. We'll talk about it. Uh, They didn't indict Trump today, and uh, we'll tell you what's going on with that. And, um, and we, we, we were talking about this prostitution story. Well, it's really, it's really more than a prostitution story, but just to recap, uh, last week there was a raid on a strip club called Electric Blue Cafe. <laughs> Comes up with these names. Electric Blue Cafe in Tolland, Connecticut. And, uh, they shut it down. They raided it. They, took the files, they opened up the business office, and it was out of business for a number of days. And uh, they said they uh, suspected prostitution operating out of the club, plus maybe human trafficking as an adjunct to the prostitution. That's the premise for involving not only the local police and the Connecticut State Police, but the Department of Homeland Security also went in there. I mean, they went in there full force. I mean, guys were in camo and, you know, the whole thing. Now, I I, I do think it's pretty clear that the Department of Homeland Security has become many things and maybe not 
the thing it was envisioned to be. It probably should have been foreseeable that that would happen. We keep doing this. I mean, any any big, massive, amorphous government agency or function always started out much smaller and sharper and more specific. That always happens. But then I got to thinking about, well, their excuse is the human trafficking angle. And you could kind of, you could kind of, that could be your, you know, your wild card for going in anywhere. You could, you could involve Homeland Security with any, the investigation of any business. Um, so they suspended the license. The cafe appealed and got their license reinstated temporarily. So they're back in business doing whatever it is they do. Meantime, what about prostitution and should it be legal? Is there an argument to be made? And, 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 and in saying that, you're not saying you would patronize it. Maybe you would. I don't know. I don't care. Is it, does it make more sense to bring it out into the business world? Or does it make more sense to say, no, we need to draw the line. This needs to be a crime. We need to put people out of business. Uh, even if people are willingly and voluntarily engaging, we, we can't have that. We don't want that. And sometimes that argument goes along with kind of like defensive marriage and society and stuff like that. But, um, I, I would just point out, and I'm going to play devil's advocate. I mean, if you look at society, um, and you look at, sex outside of marriage, probably the number one driver of that is hookup apps. The number two driver of that is probably porn, online porn. And I don't see the politicians doing anything about that, except looking the other way. I mean, hookup apps, are that is prostitution out in the open. I don't care what the, the fine print or the user's agreement says. That's, that's what that is. So we already have it, if you will, in some uh, form. And then we have this remnant from the pre-Internet days of, well, but you can't have it actually happening, you know, where people are face-to-face physically. Is that Does that make sense to you? Or have we kind of... Lost the the thread here or what? 210-599-5555. Now, if you are saying we have to defend the institution of marriage and sex outside of marriage is a threat to marriage, then I would say, okay, that sounds good. I I agree marriage is the building block of, of a society, any society. How good a job are we doing with that? I would say terrible. I would say everywhere you look, uh, that's not what we're doing. So it makes it hard for that to be your reason if you're trying to say we got to keep it illegal, against the law, and just discourage it wherever and stop it and stamp it out wherever we can. 210-599-5555. I, I think sometimes you have to look at something as it is, not as you wish it would be. And you can... You can have the belief that um, sexual transactions are are 
detrimental to people and bad for people and uh, carry a lot of risks and still say, but it, it, I'm not going to justify throwing the law at it. Just as you could say, well, alcohol does this, this, and this to your internal organs and your brain, and it it inhibits your, your behavior. I mean, it uh, lowers your inhibitions, and it changes your behavior. And by the way, alcohol also leads to a lot of uh, dissolution of families and breakups. But we're not arguing that we should close all the bars and the liquor stores. So we have these things in our society, but we appeal to people to use them responsibly. We, we appeal to people to, to use them in moderation. We appeal to people to balance their behaviors. But we, we've given up on the idea that we're going to prohibit alcohol. I don't think there's, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think there's still a groundswell out there to bring back prohibition, right? I think that's, that's over. 210-599-5555. So I'm just kind of curious to know where you come down on that. It's not, it's not a commentary on, your morality or your personality or whether or not you would, you know, patronize a prostitute. I'm just kind of curious. Do you think it should be against the law or not and why or why not? Pete is on KTSA. Hi, Pete. Hey, uh, Jack. I spent time in the Netherlands, and I'm a conservative. I'm just going to put it out there first. But I spent time a lot in, in the Netherlands. I didn't do, you know, I lived with the Dutch family. I went through the whole Dutch culture, you know, thing and everything like that. And I saw prostitution that was legal, saw marijuana that was legal, and honestly, I had no problems with it, and it was still a taboo in that society. You know, mm-hmm. you, you didn't go and brag, oh, I wouldn't smoke dope, or oh, I wouldn't mm-hmm. saw a prostitute. Mm-hmm. I mean, they would still look down on you, but it was known that it was legal. You know, and why was that better? So why I, do you think that was better? I think personally, you know, I people are going to do it anyways. You might as well just go ahead and let them do it consensual. Let you know, let them go for their 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 little government test saying I'm clean. But what I'm about the argument, you know, but Pete? What about, what about the argument? I mean, there's a lot of things people are going to do anyway, but those things are are right. harmful. Those things hurt people. Uh, I mean, you know, uh, what, what about the argument that the the women are victims that 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 they're being used that they're trapped in it. I think in the current situation that we're in, because everything's so illegal, yeah, it, they are victims. But um, from what I gather from the Dutch people, um, that they were girls that were highly regulated and watched by government officials to make sure that they weren't, uh, or less, you know, uh, coerced into it against their own will. So I don't know. I mean, that's from the perception I got when I was right. in the Netherlands when and you I were was there, there for yeah. years. All right. Yeah. Pete, thanks. Thank so, you, sir. Appreciate it. Uh two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. Margie's on the radio. Jack Riccardi show. Hi, Margie. Hi, Jack. I really enjoy your show and I have a lot to say about this. <laughs> I do not believe that women are being abused or forced into it. I ha- in the seventies we had a prostitute neighbor and she had four children. Her husband left her with the four kids. She was an excellent neighbor. The police would arrest her. No Homeland Security. And as far as Homeland Security, I've been, I've had my dealts with them. And to me, I think they just made that group because somebody got paid because they didn't have a position in this world that they had to come up with this one. And then they made Homeland Security, which means makes no sense to me at all. Take those people. 
put them in the police floors, put them where they're needed, and we'd have a better society. But I think prostitution should be legalized. I am a. Now, let me ask you this, Margie. Let me ask you this, though. I mean, you're talking about this lady you knew a long time ago. That's one person. Do you think that's typical of women that are engaged in prostitution? Well, I know now young kids that I worked with that, and, and some teachers, young teachers that are prostitutes. And, you know, they, they don't feel threatened. And what's the difference? You see the Kardashians. You see all these other people. You see these dating sites. A guy takes you out, buys you dinner, and then he wants you to have sex with him. What's the difference? You know, I, I don't believe it's as dangerous, as horrible as they're saying it is. Yes, there are some naive teenagers that got hooked into it and want to get out of it. That's probably right. Just make it legal. I mean, make it legal so these people can get decent jobs in the end of the world. You know what I mean? When they want to get out of it. Thank you, Margie. Appreciate it. Good good call. You can join the show at 210-599-5555 when we're live. You can leave a voicemail message with a thought, a comment, an opinion anytime and we play them back at 210-599-5550 in fact let's see what's on the uh don let's see what's on the jack chat line right now hey jack this is bob listen i'm sorry but uh that uh prop a sounds a lot like it's being uh, pushed by the blm mob where the pharisees were trying to crucify somebody by uh is creating a mob, creating a mob where the mob gets, the, the mob is shouting uh, down at the at the good people and letting the uh, the criminals free. But this uh, Barabbas Liberty mob is what they remind me of. It's a BLM mob, that's what it's all that reminds me of. Same okay. thing as uh, uh, yesteryear as it is today. Thanks. Okay. All right, there's one on the Jack Chat line. Let's check another one. Go ahead. Hi, Jack. is Charles in San Antonio. I was listening to about the the young uh, uh, fellow that wrote the letter to his family. Uh, you know, in the first place, his family's stupid. How's he going to know whether they vote Republican or not? And the second place is, if they're not racist or they're not homophobes, then the first thing you do is just tell him to kiss their ass and have a great day. Mm-hmm. Because he's a little weaselly worm child that needs his butt paddled and, and hopefully mm-hmm. have somebody mentor him to grow up that's my comment thanks jack okay he might like his butt paddled i don't know if that's i don't know if i'd go that route but uh i you know we were talking about the guy that wrote the open letter to his family saying that uh because he was lgb uh they had to stop being republicans at once <laughs> now hear this i think was was how he started the letter and um he was like basically a threat yeah you you'll lose me and your relationship with me if you don't go back on what you believe in and what, how you vote. And, you know, I, I, I mean, I think you should love your family. I don't think you can always love every member of your family. And if a family member starts issuing ultimatums or emotional blackmail, you, you, may, you may have to, you know, put them off to the side. I mean, I, it doesn't mean that you've slammed the door on them forever. It doesn't mean they're dead to you. It just means that, that you know, we, we can't really work, work, this out right now or i can't really work with you the way you are i a a lot of people had that take from the guy's letter that this is just somebody that 
would benefit from maybe being ignored. Like anything you do in response to that guy's letter is giving him satisfaction. You know, if you if you argue with him, if you abjectly apologize, the, the, the man's father is 80, and he immediately quit the Republican Party club and renounced his political views because he said he didn't want to lose his son. I, 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 I get the love of a father, but, man, that's what a... What a way to get it. What a way to, what a way to, to bend your father to your will. You know, I'm going to withhold my love. See if I can get him to do what he wants. So a lot of response to that letter that we talked about, uh, yesterday. Um, did you hear that, uh, Greta Thunberg, the environmental superstar is getting an honorary doctorate from the University of Helsinki? The uh, weather activist is 19, and she will be receiving the honorary doctorate of theology. Now, first of all, I, I don't want to sound jealous. I don't, I don't have any honorary doctorates, but I also don't deserve any. I have a bachelor's degree that I did earn, and that's probably the only degree I'll ever have, and I'm, I'm good with that. What are we doing giving an honorary doctorate to somebody who's 19 years old? The, 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 we're honoring, what, what are we honoring? The body of work, the life of achievement, the. Also, theology? Like, I would have thought, if anything, and I'm not saying I would even like this idea, but wouldn't you have thought it might be in, in one of the sciences? Now, I've said before that the, the climate movement seems like a kind of religion. It seems like a kind of faux, uh, you know, and not only a religion, but really a very, like, orthodox, um, evangelical, you know, extreme kind of faith system. Well, this kind of proves it, I guess, if she's a doctor of theology. So from now on, she's Dr. Greta. Not just Greta. Also from Europe, I, I saw this today. I thought this was interesting. Um, this was on Naomi Wolf's uh, Twitter feed. 450 million doses of the COVID vaccine are being thrown away across several European countries because no one is interested in getting the uh, boosters and the updates. And... Do you remember when it would have been news that there were 450 million doses? That would have, that would have seemed like a, like the, that would have been like the headline of the, of the week. Imagine having so much of this vaccine that you can trash 450 million vials or ampules or whatever it is. That's, that is something. So. Uh, people aren't taking it. I guess uh, Dr. Fauci and Mayor Bowser need to go over to Europe and start ringing doorbells. I'm in a quicksand and I'm starting to sing. I need someone to help me, but I don't know which way to turn. I know I don't have much of a choice. I'll go out of my mind. Into the night. Coming up, the results on the uh, JR poll. I was talking the other day about how the ratings for the NCAA basketball tournament it almost tripled uh, the ratings for the NBA playoffs because it's not sports that people are sick of. It's the, poli- the political content and flavoring of professional sports. But when people can just enjoy a great competition 
and find the competition and the competitors appealing and, and likable and fascinating, there's still an audience. Now, that's basketball, but when you look at baseball, the ratings are in free fall, and everybody's take on MLB is that it's an aging product, that the fan base is getting older and older, and, and young people aren't, aren't into it anymore. So we had this thing recently, the, uh, which, which I, I don't know if you had a chance to see any of it, and I'm sorry for you if you didn't. The World Baseball Classic uh, was phenomenal and featured an incredible climax of uh, Team Japan and Team USA with American MLB players uh, facing each other, opposing each other based on their nationalities. And it illustrates, again, where sports needs to go and what sports needs to be doing and not doing if it wants to have an audience. And I happened to catch Stephen A. Smith's take on this this morning on ESPN. It was so spot on. It encapsulated so perfectly what we've been saying, and he said it much better, that I wanted you to hear it. This is Stephen A. Smith this morning on ESPN talking about the climax, Otani versus Trout, the World Baseball Classic. Listen to this. The man ain't closed since the days before he ever arrived in Major League Baseball. But he shows up to close last night. And when he's closing, who's waiting for him? His teammate, who happens to be, when healthy, one of the greatest players in the history of the game in Mike Trout. Nobody's going to deny that. Mike Trout is something special. He's something to behold. He's been plagued by injuries. We understand that. But the point is... It's the baseball classic, and unlike unlike what we lament at times in basketball with load management, unlike what we unfortunately see because football is such a violent sport with injuries and stuff like that, baseball's got a different problem. You've got people living in their cocoon, holding on to their tradition, thinking about themselves and not doing what they can to ingratiate themselves with a younger generation because the sport is dying, not because people have lost interest, but because the audience gets older and older and older and you're not building a relationship with the younger audience. Well, how do you alleviate that, Dougie? You alleviate it by providing theater. You don't want to see Joey Otani against just anybody. You want to see him against the likes of somebody like Mike Trout. You want to see him go up against Mike Trout. It ain't no intentional walk. It ain't no strategy. It's me against you, baby. Let's get it on. Bam! Right down the middle, strike one. Bam! Right down the middle, strike two. And then ultimately, a few pitches later, an 87-mile-per-hour curve slide. I mean, come on. That's what I'm talking about. And strikes him out. And then he sits up there, he screams, throws his hat, throws the glove. I mean, he's going crazy. He loved it. Japan undefeated. Third time they've won the World Baseball Classic. Nobody has done it undefeated in the process. Beat Mexico to get there. Who was no joke, by the way. And when you culminate the event that the Major League Baseball is all in on, that the Players Association is all in on, practically half owners for crying out, part owners for crying out loud. And to see the event come down to that, if you are a baseball lover anywhere, what you're saying is, Ladies and gentlemen, moments like that is what baseball is supposed to be about. Younger generation, come on in. Look at the diversity. This is Mexico. It's Japan. It's China. The Czech Republic played in this tournament, for crying out loud. USA were the reigning defender champions. They end up going down. But guess what? 
How do you go down? Swinging. That's mm. what competition is all about. That's what baseball is supposed to be all about. Yeah. The, I mean, I don't know how you take. He, he's so right. I, I'm not. I don't know. And I've thought about this all day today, and I'll keep thinking about it because I don't really know how you take the the excitement and the adrenaline. I mean, it was it was mesmerizing, and they've already put the hat that that uh, Shohei Otani threw in the air after he struck out Mike Trout. That just went to the Hall of Fame in Cooperstown today, all right? So on some level, baseball knows that, that this was a moment. Uh, people that watched it will always remember seeing it. I'm a baseball fan. I'll, it has become one of my most favorite sports memories. I don't know how you take this and convert it to the world of Major League Baseball 2023, but they're going to have to figure that out. They're going to have to figure You know what? We don't need a pitch clock. We don't need bigger bases, for God's sakes, really. But we do need to bottle this, um, the appeal of this moment. I hope somebody smarter than me, much smarter than me, is figuring that out right now. Obviously, the big story today that, that didn't happen was the indictment uh, looming over former President Donald Trump. Um, and, and what we're talking about is... Um, when he was on the uh, campaign trail in 2016, uh, or sometime before that, shortly before that, perhaps when he was contemplating a run for president, $130,000 was funneled through then-Trump attorney Michael Cohen to a uh, porn star named Stormy Daniels, uh, with whom Trump allegedly had some kind of uh, relationship. And the allegation is that the way that was handled and categorized in the paperwork uh, violated federal campaign finance laws. And the question we have is, how, how does that involve the current lower Manhattan DA, Alvin Bragg? Because local prosecutors don't police campaign finance violations. Those are federal laws. There's also a statute of limitation in New York for bookkeeping crimes. It's two to five years. That's expired. So they're trying to find a way to take this campaign finance violation, if it was one, and convert it to a criminal prosecution at the local level, which would compel Trump to present himself in Manhattan and be fingerprinted and booked and photographed and 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 so forth and the guy doing this isn't just anybody he's somebody who was handpicked uh and heavily financed by george soros to carry out a very politicized da's office and he is doing it and if you follow news in new york uh he's in the news on a, on a literally on a daily basis for aiding and abetting the unraveling of law and order in new york um, so we're waiting to see what's going to happen. And um, I, I realize that for a lot of people, this is about Trump. But I just want to put an idea in your head, and of course we'll be talking about it in the hours and days ahead. This might also be the moment that breaks the idea of these woke, Soros-funded DAs. I mean, they've done a lot of outrageous things in a lot of places. They recalled the San Francisco DA. They tried to recall the LA. They're trying to recall the Philly DA. These, we have, we have one of these Soros DAs here in Bear County. 
Um, but this might be that, like that, you know, bridge too far, you know, kind of moment. It, it, it's funny that even though it seems to be about Trump and it seems to be about the 2024 election, what it might ultimately do uh, is begin is be the beginning of the end uh, of this phenomenon that has that has really done a lot of damage to a lot of people's lives. You know, I I hear people talking about they're wanting to defend Trump and stand up for Trump and protest. Have you ever thought about the fact that the real victims of a, of an Alvin Bragg or a, a you know a Joe Gonzalez or a you know, George Gascone in L.A., the real victims are not rich people. They're probably not even white people. The real victims of these woke DAs are poor, are probably mostly people of color, are people without a lot of resources, options, without a voice. They're the people that have to live, that have to live, in the communities that become a lot more dangerous because of somebody like him. They're the real victims. Donald Trump will be fine. Donald Trump will be fine. But a lot of people pay for the election of these progressive, so-called progressive DAs. We'll expand on that, talk about that more you know, in the days ahead. Um, Don, I think we have some, uh, don't we have some reaction from, uh, from Donald Trump about uh, Alvin Bragg? I think we do, right? He has something to say hey, about hey, it, doesn't Hey, he? I'm being indicted by Fat Alvin. Fat Alvin Bragg. What a disgrace. He's a big, fat disgrace. What a terrible person. And they would call it a circus. I would call it a circus, but everybody's talking about it. The circus has been canceled because Fat Alvin Bragg has to use the tent as a suit jacket these mm. days. That's what people are saying. Everybody's talking about it. You know, they say you can indict a ham sandwich... But Fat Alvin Bragg, Rosie O'Donnell, and Joy Behar ate all of the ham sandwiches. Now there's nothing left. Fat Alvin Bragg, soft on crime, tough on Twinkies, believe me. That's uh, Cap, what's called so Captain Deplorable, uh, who does uh, Trump impersonations. I, I, I tell you what, those are pretty good. <laughs> That would be, it would be impossible for me to know if that was him or not. I, that, that would, I, I would, you would have, you could have fooled me, but that was not him. All right, on the JR poll, the question was, how likely are we to get Biden versus Trump in 2024? It wasn't a do you want this matchup. It was, is this going to happen matchup? Uh, 46% said it's somewhat likely. 30% said it's not likely. And 24% said it's very likely. So but basically, if you look at that, 70% of you either think it's somewhat or very likely that we're going to wind up with Biden versus Trump. It does kind of look that way right now. I mean, Biden is looking more and more uh, inevitable for the Democrats. I don't really, I don't see a path out of that. They seem to want it. They seem to have decided to go with it. Uh, he's, you know, throwing it around. I, I, I will just say this one thing, and I'm not trying to sound like a know-it-all, but it seems to me, having observed many of these cycles before, that when you are sure you know who's running year, year and a half ahead of time, that is never that never winds up being the matchup. It just it almost never winds up being that way. At, at least one side or the other throws you a curve, and it could be both sides this time. We don't. Uh, we don't know, but that that was the poll question. Um, real quick, tomorrow, Sean Rima will be in this time slot for me. Everything's fine. 
My daughter has a honors ceremony. Uh, she's going to be graduating from high school, and she's got honors, and I'm very proud of her, and I try not to brag, but I had to say that. Uh, so I am really, really excited to go to that and be at that. So Sean Rima will cover the show tomorrow. Thank you, Sean. And I'll be back here on Friday. Plus, you can find our show anytime as a podcast at KTSA.com.